So then, Quoth kills Arladin? Yeah. Spoilers, Quoth also kills Dumbledore. Everyone thinks it's Snape, but no. It's mm -hmm. Quoth. He kills Dumbledore, so... Yeah, you remember back in whenever that book came out, whatever year that book came out, there were people driving around saying, Quoth uh, <laughs> uh, killed Dumbledore, and everyone was like, what? See, what I who's, remember... Who's Quoth? I remember the year that uh, a certain uh, StarCraft... Two came out, <laughs> and we drove by at the mall and yelled, yeah. Snape kills Snape Rainer. Kills Rainer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were hilarious. I really enjoyed that. That was a great, I, I would, a great memory. I would hope that whoever was there by, you know, those one of those five people yeah. could explain it to the other four. <laughs> I mean, we were three of them, so. Fair enough. Last we spoke uh -huh. we were just getting into the good stuff yeah both was he finished his uh look up until this point you'd been reading a story but now you get to read a story being told by one of the characters in the story you're reading in the story it's a real Woo! inception moment yeah it's it's pretty mind-blowing so did you immediately feel the theatricality of Quoth as he starts telling this story. Like, Oh, absolutely. He immediately... There's this part in Hitch at the very end where he gets the girl because he pretends to not be able to think of words to say to her. And that's exactly what this feels like to me. Like, Quoth, he spent the whole night thinking about the story and then stumbles over the first paragraph. Yeah, can't decide where to actually begin it. <laughs> when in reality, that's part of the bit. It's like, well, I don't know where I should start. Should it be at this beginning or this beginning? Because they're both beginnings, but I think maybe the real beginning is the beginning beginning. Yeah, start at the beginning. That's what my dad always says. Your dad or, like, close dad? Well, that, yeah, that's one of the things he says. My dad never said that. Maybe he said that once. I don't know. If he said it, I wasn't there for it. So. The only thing that I remember your dad saying was, where's the mustard? <laughs> 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 yeah. Only he didn't say it. He like huffed really, uh, really annoyedly as he stomped around <laughs> the basement looking for it. <laughs> and your brother, a six foot what? A known mustard thief. <laughs> yes, known mustard thief. Uh, six, Taylor's six brother, five, six five, three hundred pounds. Three hundred pounds is cowering under the blanket. <laughs> Pretending from my, to be asleep. From my, like, five foot eight, hundred and eighty pound father. <laughs> I like to tell the story in my mind that after that happened, it was right next to him, and he just throws it at you really hard and then continues to pretend to be asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blame your son. Give your dad his the mustard. mustard. <laughs> the mustard was in his bed. <laughs> Great so times. we get back into the story, and both starts uh, essentially at the beginning of his memory, right? I think he starts it with... He introduces the Adimaru. Yes, his basically where he comes from is where he starts. His They're family, essentially his... a band of traveling theater geeks. If uh, some local dummy tries to tell them that they're not allowed, then they, uh, they give them the what for. Yeah, they mess that dude up. With their words. They, make them, they just embarrass them really hard. Yeah, they whip them with their wit. And that's when we get introduced to a very important character, Ben. Ben is... Or Abinthy, I guess, is, Abinthy, as his yeah. full name. But he's always just referred to as Ben. He's uh, basically the one that gets both interested in 
the idea of the name of the wind and learning in general. I think he's the first person that Quoth ever ran into that identified Quoth as insanely smart. And yeah. he himself, Abinthi, was obviously an arcanist, so he starts testing him on on everything that he knows. Turns out this kid learns really fast and picked up so much stuff from Abinthi. A uh, character that knows the name of the wind. We are introduced yes, to the first... A... Actually, no, the I guess the Tavern the Great was the first representation of knowing the name of the wind, but it would be the first time that Quoth saw it. Yeah, the first uh, non possibly uh, non-existent character, you know. But do we have... Um, there's a lot of theories going around in this world. Do, is, do you think there's a, a theory on who Abinthi is? Is Abinthi some long-lost character that is unable to die? Uh, I mean, maybe. I I personally never thought of Abinthi as anyone other than close mentor, you know, at least for a long time. I think it was you bringing it up not that long ago that made me think, like, oh, maybe he's Orin Velsiter, maybe he's, uh, you were thinking, oh, maybe he's Tablet in the Great, right? I mean, I like the idea of thinking of the possibilities. I mean, he's described as an yeah. old man in the story, and he knows a lot, he knows the name of the wind, and as far as I'm concerned, having only uh, some knowledge of the first book and very little knowledge of the second book the number of people that know the names of anything is very low, so it seems like he could be very important. Yeah, I think it was said when when Chronicler bound uh, Bast with iron in, you know, the first however many chapters uh, that. Yeah, Chronicler was one of the. Chronicler would be ten, one of yeah, a dozen yeah. people or so. Yeah, in the world that knows the name of iron. Uh, and I don't know if, if any names are quote-unquote easier than others, but I can't imagine they are. I imagine all like names like that are probably pretty... Uh, pretty rare. Pretty difficult to come... Yeah, pretty difficult to, to pick up. So, Well, so Quoth is... Uh, basically gets Ben to join their troop. Oh, yeah. After seeing what he can do, because he knew... He saw something that he couldn't explain which was Ben Call the Name of the Wind, and he wanted to learn how or why. And Abinthi was in need, how to too. Abinthi was uh... a lone traveler and could definitely have done with the company of the whole troop of the Adimaru, which was, I don't know, I don't. it probably says how many wagons were in the troop, but it was probably a, yeah, a something dozen around or so. There. So it would have been... I can't and remember I mean, the exact number, and, but... Can you think of a better band to travel with than, you know really smart world, people no. that are super entertaining and there's always music playing yeah. and, and it's also you know established that they were they 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 had a patron they were uh, charged to perform by uh this guy mm-hmm. baron Greyfallow. so they had like the backing of a of a wealthy uh, nobleman uh so they weren't because there are other uh bands of traveling performers that are give this band of traveling performers kind of a bad name uh especially in the more modern version of the world. We never get treated with any interactions with Bear and Greyfellow, do we? In any no. in either book so uh, far. They, he tells, yeah, they never talked, they never have Bear and Greyfellow present mm-hmm. for anything. Just they say his name and they he tells 
Post tells a story, or tells like minor stories of when they would be at Baron Grey Fallows for, for like the winter holiday or something like that, right? But they never actually have any uh, meaningful stories that take place with him as a character. There's no theories about him either. Right now. Not that I'm aware of. I'm sure there probably is because there's theories about everything, but. I haven't heard any. I don't think every character needs to be. No, not have some sort of not every you know, character beginning is... of the world origin. Sometimes I feel like that takes away actually. Yeah, if every character means something, then like Star Wars, no like why does Ray have to be somebody's daughter? Why can't she just be? I don't know. Well, you know. Let's not open that can of I, beans. I, I never tech. I I technically haven't seen the. Uh, I saw uh, eight, but oh, I never saw uh, nine, Force Awakens. I think that's eight. Yeah. No, uh, that's that's or the. Is that not? Oh, that's, that's seven. seven. Yes, that was the one. Oh, so you saw seven and eight, but not nine. Yeah, I never never got around to watching it. I could watch it at any time. I have like Disney Plus, but I just haven't done it yet. It's not the worst movie ever made, but disappointing in my book. I mean, I also, I also am pretty uh, pretty easygoing when it comes to things like that. Like, I don't really have. A, big problem with the prequels. I mean, they're definitely cringy at mm-hmm. points, but... The third one, specifically. Still have an interesting story. I am. I think I'm most... I don't know if this is in the third one, but the the, the scene where it's Anakin and Padme like talking, he's like, oh, I hate sand, oh, yeah. it's coarse <laughs> and rough and gets it. I think that's... I think it's the second uh, one. I think so, too, of yeah. The, of that, yeah. Uh, that is the cringiest thing I think. I think ever. the cringiest <laughs> moment in all of Star Wars is when Darth Vader is born, and they turn it into Frankenstein. Oh. <laughs> I was just so embarrassed uh, yeah, for George yeah. Lucas. No! Oh my god, I can't, I can't, that is the worst. I don't know. What the lead a up terrible to that, though, idea. With, like, the, the fight with Obi-Wan, and, and the Emperor yeah, that was like, cool. rescuing him and stuff. That was, like, that was stuff. all yeah. cool. And then just the, the end is sort of meh. But anyway, way off track here. Star Wars talk. Yeah, who who of these people um, would know anything about Star Wars? Uh, probably none of them. <laughs> We're way off in uh, in left universe here. But as far as um, who people are, we're, we don't know who Ben is. If he is someone special, he doesn't need to be. There is... I mean, it, him just being both is good enough, and, yeah. and first teacher is special yeah, enough. Absolutely. I was mostly just trying to transition into somebody who might actually be somewhat a little more special. I guess I don't, I can't think of where it's actually confirmed anywhere, if it is, but there is a bit where Quoth is recanting a rhyme that he heard recently about... Oh yes, about the Lackless. What was her name? In the rhyme it just says Lady Lackless. Uh, I actually, I, I have the rhyme here and because I do uh, very much want to get into bits about it, I will Yeah, this is this might quickly. be the first example of us going deep. So if you haven't read the yeah. whole book, some of this isn't uh, going to make sense. And the, se- the second book is where a lot of this comes back around, so... Spoilers uh, for the second book. Things I guess episode Lady two, Lackless. if you have... <laughs> you might pause and read the second book also. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... The, the, the stuff is so interconnected, it's too muddy to really, uh not give second book spoilers. Sorry. Yeah, let's do it. So anyway, seven things has Lady Lackless. Keeps them underneath her black dress. One, a ring that's not for wearing. One, a sharp word not for swearing. 
Right beside her husband's candle, there's a door without a handle. In a box, no litter locks, Blacklist keeps her husband's rocks. There's a secret she's been keeping, she's been dreaming and not sleeping. On a road that's not for traveling, Blacklist likes her riddle raveling. Which I think the... There are certain parts that are more prevalent immediately to the story, like the first reading of the book is mostly... It leads the reader to believe that um, the main lines are... Um, she keeps her husband's rocks in a... In a box, no litter locks. Blacklist keeps her husband's rocks. Like somewhere where she keeps his nuts. Is essentially <laughs> yeah, it's what... very a, much innuendo. And uh, somebody who's listening in on this thing might think that, the, that it's about. And then, uh, what was the last line of it, too? That one was also pretty Yeah, so... Well... She likes her riddles the, raveling. Yeah, the last line... I mean, even on, like, a first... So I'm going to give a little background on uh, on this rhyme real quick just to kind of get to the heart of the of that line and where I think some of the lines can come from versus others. Um, so the Lacklaces are a family in Vintus, which is a place where we spend a lot of time in the second book. And you learn that the Vintus court is very... Uh, and this could probably be said about most... Uh, royal courts they're very heavy uh, into gossip and uh and talking crap about each other basically so i think that parts of this are old 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 things like uh the box with no litter locks the husband's rocks which sounds like innuendo it, it might have been changed because that's i'm pretty sure that references the idea that uh the Lacklaces are tied to the stealing of the moon, which is, which comes into play later on. I think the second book is With where we first Jack hear the story. Slash EX. Yes, and things like that. Uh, so the uh, Lacklace likes her riddles raveling, or riddle raveling. The bit that this probably stems from is that one of the Lacklace uh, daughters ran away with a. Edema Rue Trooper, and it is very heavily likely that that is Kvo's mother, is that uh, princess who ran off with Kvo's father. Because Raveling, uh, Ravel, is explained in book two that Kvo explains that it is a, a derogatory term for the Edema Rue, and that is where I think that it's, connection comes in. It's what higher class people would consider a carny. They don't say yeah, carny, they say, less, like, yeah. ravel. It has something to do with, like, the quality of the materials of their of their clothing, usually. Oh, that makes I'm sense. pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's... I, I can't recall specifically. It's been a while since I've read the second book, but I'm pretty sure that that is the direct thing. I know that both explains it later on. I would have I guessed something about rabble. Like yeah, the... rabble is another, another uh, easy connection. It's obviously a rabble is a, a group of unruly people, which is what a lot of uh, <laughs> well-to-do town folks see Adima Rue as. But I guess maybe this part, this might be interjected before the rhyme. Um, but this is the first example, I think. Or no, I can't even say that. This is one of the examples of something that's in the book that readers have picked apart to all, pretty much the letter. 
Yes. Like there are so many mysteries in this books that whenever there, especially something like this, like a rhyme or a song, something with lyrics, something that exists in the world that can be picked apart for uh, little details, the audience has done that. So there are a lot yeah. of theories. Um, I, was is this even confirmed? Is the fact that Close Mother is um, a lacklist that hasn't that wasn't actually confirmed, confirmed by in this book. Rothfuss? No. Okay. Uh, it's it is thought to be confirmed by I, that the other song, another song that uh, that Close Father sings about his his about his wife. He and it, yeah. he calls her. Uh, his dear Tally, which the lacklist daughter that ran away was Natalia. Natalia, Tally does that. It's Kvost's mother who teaches him all the uh, manners of the court because she was one of them. She grew up learning it. That is at least the theory anyway. And and the last line of that one of his father's I guess we should wait until we get there, but the last line of that one is, not Talia is lockless. Yes, yes. Not Talia is lockless. That is another uh, big. Uh... <laughs> so I mean, I, I don't know how far you have to go to actually confirm it in the world, or is that just those are just the biggest red herrings that have ever been in fiction? I mean, they could be, but chances are uh, probably chances not. are. So and like the whole connection that makes it even crazier is that uh, in book two. For someone else, Quoth woos his aunt. <laughs> uh, yeah, he assists the mayor the in mayor. courting Meluan Lackless, which would be Meluan. Natalia's that was the sister. Of yeah, that'd be Natalia's sister, aka Quoth's aunt. The uh, one who she, hates Adima Rue. She hates the Rue because her sister was quote unquote stolen away by one, and also uh, she has a whether she has it and gave it to the mayor or uh, the mayor has it because he came into it somehow. One way or another, he has a box with no lid or locks, and he wants Quoth to try and open it. Ooh, I haven't gotten there yet in book two. That's towards the end of Quoth's time in Ventus, uh, is when that all happens. Are we I pretty think. sure that that is the same box that Quoth has in no in Noir? See, that's a good question. I'm not sure. It might be. That would make sense that he gets it there and... The mayor is effectively a king, and if he ends up killing that dude, then that's where he gets the king killer name, maybe. I know that. And then he takes Quoth, the box. Actually, Bast has a lesson with both at some point in the second book. I don't know when. And the the lesson yeah. is how would you open the box? And Bast, who is a fey creature, very knowledgeable, can't think of a way to open it. And yeah. it it also seems like. Both knows how to open it. He has opened it. That's the he's that's the impression him, that he's yeah. giving. Maybe, but also, I was also it seems like he can't anymore. That's it seems that way at least to me, as I recall. Right. When when that lesson was happening, it actually made me think back to Quoth's entry into the Arcanum. When um, oh yeah, the I forget his name. Kilvin, the Everburning Lamp. Yes, Kilvin asks him, how would you make an ever-burning lamp? And the other masters have an aside, and they kind of... Maybe they don't giggle, but they look at him like, what kind of question is that for they, a student? They when, uh, they, they all, like, roll their eyes. that They're, like, exacerbated. Yeah. 
or not, no, exasperated, that word. (laughs) He's just desperate to find a way to create an ever-burning lamp. So it it didn't seem impossible for me. There's already an example in the same book, or or the the previous book, that, you know, somebody who uh, is a master is asking uh, a student, a pupil, for how they would complete a task that even they couldn't do. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe he hasn't opened it. Maybe not. Um, but we've we, we've uh, <laughs> we've wandered very far from. Uh, from so the let's start get of back to. Uh, Abanthi joins the. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to say tribe, but it's not a tribe. I do want to talk about uh, something that Abanthi and Kroth talk about early, and that is the idea of Nax. Oh yeah, I had that written down too. Because I think it's an interesting thing. Uh, so. What kind, what type of like magic or manifestation do you think it is? Um, well, first I want to, well, uh, the introduction to what a knack is, it seemed extremely specific. So, yes. the friend that uh, that's in the Trip. troop, his name's yeah. Trip, he yeah. rolls sevens. No matter what, if he throws dice, there are seven. Trick dice, not trick dice. If he bets on somebody who's rolling, they roll sevens. It's not. It's not a natural thing. It's not. It's not a luck thing. It's just. Uh, yeah, it is its own thing. It's a knack. Um, yeah. Which they associate with demonic sort of presence, but there, a lot of the world is pretty superstitious. So, if Quoth were to have a knack. Uh, it seems like it would be sympathy. It was the thing that he was most excited about learning from Abanthi, and it was the thing that he picked up the quickest. And I think in the book, he says, I have a knack for sympathy, or something along those very... He says, I have a knack for sympathy. In, it is in those terms or another, but he says if knack. he means that in the way we mean it, or yeah. in in the terms of like a knack like no a you're right like it's definitely type. it could be either but the distance in the book between the introduction of their friend trip having a knack yeah it's very far between uh, yeah and then you know uh, both being good at sympathy they're very close to if not the same chapter then one after the other yeah so if my if i had to guess it would be sympathy but that is a much more broad my uh, idea is that he has a knack. He actually has a knack for for naming, not necessarily finding the names hmm. of things, but giving names to things. Oh, um, like the, he, I mean, the most obvious one is Ari. What other Ari, what other naming? It's 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 a strange. Oh, thing. Master Ash. Master Ash is a is a really good one too. Um, and I can't remember. I don't know. We don't know yet if Denna's true name is Denna, or if that was just the name she was using at the time. Oh, I can't believe I didn't write this down. Like, what was the first name? Because I know she didn't go by Denna at the beginning, or maybe no, she did. No, it was did, Diane, she, or uh, something she's like that. given different versions. Yeah. Of a name. Of her. Of her name. Yeah. So, and I. It's interesting because Denna, for Kvoth, becomes true. Like, Denna is very similar to Denner, and Denner resin is like the most addictive drug in the entire 
world. It's, what, it's essentially heroin, makes, right? I don't, yeah, I don't know it, enough it's, about heroin to be able to say that it is for sure heroin. But I'm it going to like in equate it to all opium. Of its ways. It is. It's. It's even like used to make ophalum. Sounds a lot like opium, and I'm pretty sure heroin is an opiate, right? Mm-hmm. So fork both. The that name takes on such a, a crazy meaning in that. There's a story that's told when he's in Tarbian, which I'm sure we'll get to. I don't know if we'll actually talk about it when we get there, where he once saw a, a dinner addict basically do... They would, they'll would they do anything for the next hit. It's like... Yeah, he sees there. a young girl stripped naked and in the snow, in the, in the yeah. snow just for like the smallest amount of the stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, and so it's gripping it's, drug. Yeah, they will do literally anything. And when it comes to Denna... Both will do literally anything. So in my eyes, it's not just that he has a knack for naming things. He also has a knack of, maybe this isn't even a knack. Maybe this is just how he is. But certain things are very uh, manifest as true. And it usually has to do with the name. Well, he gets lessons from, um, what's his name? Elodin. Elodin, yes. Elodin, I think, is uh, how it's said in the... In the so audiobook. He, he's getting lessons from Elodin eventually, and Elodin gives him a little bit of info. He's like, I, my lessons don't always make sense, but I'm trying to wake your sleeping mind. So it's yeah. a lot so of maybe the things that I don't it, make maybe sense. Maybe that's all subconscious, right? Right. And Quoth has had a few interactions with his more animalistic side. Mm-hmm. After the troop attack and then his time in Tarbian, he spent at least a few years with his mind kind of locked away, not wanting to remember the death of his parents. So he might have spent a significant amount of time. I, I want to say it's something this is... magic related or uh, music related. Like he, yes, it is. He spent I, so much time learning how uh, to play. That was the my thought next of point. yeah, the yeah. wind on the grass and the morning dew drying up or like so, so specific ideas that he can play in music form that yeah. seems crazy he is the the very manifestation of a bard for lack of a better word like he mm-hmm. his magic is so inexplicably tied to music no one can play this the the sound that is wind on the grass and have it be you know <laughs> anything magical or good no one no one does that he can do that at least by his yeah, own Abinthi actually says before uh, he goes to the Ar- Arcanum he's talking to Quoth's parents and he says no matter what Quoth does he's going to be the best that, are, that ever was at it like if, no doubt if he, if he conta- continues on with the troupe and um, plays music and does acting he'll be better than What's his the name? next alien? Yep. Alien, yeah, or alien, who is um, trooper's hero? Yes, the trooper's hero. He is the bard of all bard, the legendary bard, the the person that Quoth actually thinks is the the best man that ever lived, according to one of the other questions into the arc that gained him yeah. entrance into the arcanum. So, in my view, Quoth's music is what unlocks his magic and really is a direct tap into his sleeping mind if he can play wind on the grass you have to like feel that and know that in your soul 
Oh, so we were talking about knacks. You don't think music would be his knack? I think that it comes into the naming uh, aspect of it, honestly. Okay. Because through music, it just it amplifies his knack for naming because he can. Yeah, it's it's been put said, that name to music more or less. It's been said multiple times that something's name is not bound by the language of the thing that it is. Like the name of the wind isn't the word wind in English or common or any other distinct language from that world it is its own name so I imagine there could be a musical representation of the name of the wind or the name of anything really like there's no reason why something's name couldn't be a melody yeah so I really love that that section like after the Chandrian attack and him just like walking down the road playing till his fingers bleed and his uh, and his strings snap, and then learning how to play with less, uh, less strings and less strings, mm-hmm. and just when he played all the songs that he could ever play, uh, he just started playing the world around him. Like that, that's just such a cool section and such a cool idea. And in my mind, I wonder if there is some some magic going on there. Like he uh, is playing that music as he's leaving essentially the scene of the crime and he's he's locking his mind away yeah i mean maybe maybe he is doing that in ex- like and the reason the That's present quoth isn't playing music is because it would eventually that. lead him into unlocking something that he has locked away yeah i mean obviously he locked something away what it, what it what that something is remains to be truly seen if it's i mean my theory comes back to when he he asked Elodin at some point uh, if you can change your name or, or something like that, and he's Elodin was like mortified, like why would you ever want to do that? Like people that mess with their name hmm. end up you know in a bad way, things like that. So my guess has always been that in in Kvos box is his name or part of his name or something like that. And that's why he doesn't have the power he once did. God, I really hope it's something super disappointing. Like, he just opens it up and it's like just, I don't know, <laughs> lint, a couple of buttons, and uh, God, how troll would that be? <laughs> a dildo. <laughs> well, I mean, Pat- <laughs> Patrick Rothfuss did say that he tricked, uh, he tricked everyone into reading the longest prologue ever made. <laughs> it was the prologue book one? No, I think the prologue is books one through three. Oh shoot okay that's my guess i mean because think about it if if it's if each book is the three days of him telling this story by the end of the third day he's told his story so we're just to the present right there's still all the setup and what's gonna yeah, happen after that's a good is point. that all gonna be part of book three or is there gonna be more books you know or who knows or yeah i guess i mean it could be the calm before the storm at the very end so you get caught up and then it's essentially the yeah, climax then, of the whole series. That could be. But how could how could that much crap get resolved in the you know last thirty five percent of a book, right? Like that'd be that'd be crazy if it could. I don't know how it could though. Good point. Maybe. Seems like book two is covering a lot of ground though. I'm not even halfway. Really, a lot of people had uh, have big pacing issues with book two. Oh, like it Maybe goes too slow. Maybe because you know they're too. 
yeah, maybe because they're like too close to the to the picture to see the entirety of it, so it just seems meandering and and stuff. But yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, some he, people he think it's very meandering. He starts out at the Arcanum and then travels all the way to um, the mayor, and then yeah, uh, solves a plot walks, to walks around uh, the forest. The the eld for a long time <laughs> before ending up in like the Fey realm more or less. Oh, I haven't even gotten there. Oh yeah, well. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't know what. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going too slowly for me. He travels all the well, way there, no, solves I... a plot to kill the mayor, and then woos the mayor's lady Lackless, and then goes off to the Fey. Yeah, I don't. I I guess I just don't. I don't see that as a realistic critique I I book. also I also don't but it is it is a common people uh, many people thing. agree but I think I feel like too many like I feel like it's just so standard for second books like middle books in theories they they're not in theories in series uh you know they call it middle book syndrome right like people think it's people always think they're too meandering because they're not the opening of the series and they're not the closing of the series so they're just you're just in the middle wandering around right, right? like like this that's podcast no fault of the book <laughs> yeah we've been wandering around quite a bit but i you know what i don't i don't care i like this uh i like this better i'm gonna i'm just gonna out and say i like this better <laughs> than uh running down the plot points we'll have to check all so. the the comments under the second episode of the podcast to see uh yeah, what everybody everyone thinks. being like Nah, John, you're stupid. The yeah, first I'll write mine underneath, and then you write yours, and we'll see if we come to a consensus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we're 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 the two commenters of two. Yeah. So we Nailed talked about it. close mother. We yes talked in generalities about stuff in the box. Snacks. Snacks. Yeah. Oh yeah, did we actually answer that question? There isn't. There are no theories about what close knack might actually be, or I guess it, it's I never mean, really mentioned that he for sure has a knack. It's also never said that you can only have one knack. Oh, yeah. Touche. Which, if you believe Ben, he seems to have a knack for whatever he puts his mind to. If he puts his mind to it, Ooh, it comes easily to him. See. Which could allude to a certain thing, which is that... Are you familiar with what a shaper is in this world? Yes, a little bit. Like, it's... Um, in the Academy, there are listeners speakers something like um oh yeah the uh like Rilar i guess the answer is the... no the, <laughs> the, the real answer is no. i know what a shaper is okay so so there are namers there are there are namers in in the world who know the names of things and can command them and then there are shapers who can give things form uh it's widely believed through many of those uh Hmm. Theories that are out there that Ari is a shaper. Uh, have you read the Slow Regard of Silent Things, the the Ari book? Nope. No. So in that, it sort of there's some more clues to that. But it, I think it's also uh, sort of going to end up being that Kvoth is also a shaper. And yeah, that's I what that, I was just about to. Uh, that sort of has between something you said earlier. Yeah, the thing about things around him becoming like prophetic, like name wise specifically. Mm -hmm. It's and it could be because that his will is he can exert his will on the world to shape the world around him, um, which is I think why he's so good with sympathy and has a really strong 
Aler or Alar or whatever, however you want to say it, uh, is because his will is is very, very dominant, and so he can shape the world around him. He does lose to Danny in this. He does because she she may also be a, sh- a shaper. Ooh, more. Um. Yeah, they're they're few and far between, but if if the theory about when we talked about the he had to. F- trick the devil to get it and fight an angel to keep it or something like that mm. if uh, if the theory about Devi being the devil because they or the demon I should say mm-hmm. Devi being the demon in that uh, in that story because she's given the nickname demon Devi uh, and Ari being the angel in that story then it's possible that all three of them are shapers and that it has something to do with the shaping of the Fey realm and and the moon and things like that. Wasn't that wasn't that something that Quoth just said at the beginning of the the his story though? Like I no, that was that I was have... one of the that was one of the rumors that uh, that chronicler kind of spat out at him. Oh okay. They say he went looking for his heart desi- heart's desire, and when he found it, he had to. Or in order, but once he held it in his hand, he had to trick a demon to keep it and fight an or trick a demon to get it and fight an angel to keep it or something like that. Hopefully, all confirmed in book three. Well, of all the theories that are out there, and all the ones that are pretty uh, convincing, I hope that at least some of them are are legit. You know, because some of them are really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't. Not that I, I wouldn't expect them all to be false. But oh yeah, there's absolutely going to be ones that that aren't true, right. not just because they're ridiculous theories, but because that's just not the path that Rothfuss is going to take it. Because I'm sure he had his own vision. <laughs> I had a, a a crazy theory that I liked the sound of at the beginning, but it might lead to an unsatisfying answer to a lot of these questions, which it would essentially kind of mean that all of these questions are irrelevant. Yeah. Should I just say what? Yeah, why not? It's so uneducated, though. (laughs) (laughs) So? Just throw it out there, and if I have to rip it apart, I'll rip it I'm sure a lot of people think that in the box uh, with no whatever, no hinges, uh, the chest, like it's his name. I'm sure a lot of people think that, but I imagine a lot of those people also think that his name is Quoth. But I think maybe his name isn't Quoth. Like, maybe his like, the conversation we had earlier, maybe what if Abanthi was Tabalin the Great, or one of these, these older names. Like, what if the name in the box isn't Quoth, but Lanre, or... I, I don't know enough to actually give a guess as to what name it would be, but it it seemed like that would be a really interesting thing that you were right, it's his name, but you did not think that it was going to be this name. It's Tabula yeah. the Great. I mean, imagine if he found the secrets to a name like that and and took it for his own. That'd be pretty... Then that's what, like... Yeah destroyed well, the world more or less that'd be pretty crazy if naming is so powerful and you can change your name especially if he is truly a shaper ch- and he can shape his own name into whatever what he wants it to be yeah what if you took the name of the most powerful thing what if you took the name uh, talu or whatever oh yeah taylor yeah 
But then the yeah. other the other tiny bit was actually relating to where we've recapped so far. There have been little mind games that uh, Abanthi has been teaching both and teaches him about yeah. Alar and how to separate his mind. And uh, both has a little bit where he's he's annoyed, but also um, impressed with himself a little bit, where he he was playing a game where he hides something in his mind. He has half of his mind hide something in his mind, and then the other half find it. But then turns out the first half didn't even hide anything, and he was just testing himself on how long he would look before he would ask. Anyways, it's a, a cheeky yeah. little thing, but maybe what's in the box is just telling him where to find the thing in his own mind. Like, there isn't really yeah. anything in the box, it's just, you know. It, yeah, it's, it's information that leads him to uh, something that he's hiding from himself. Right. Which... If that's true, what's something in his mind that he wouldn't that he would hide something behind? Like, what's something he d he wouldn't want to remember so much um, that he knows that he could hide something behind it? Well, uh, my guess, my immediate guess, would be uh, music, mostly because he only seems to sing or hum or something when he is sort of distracted and uh -huh. not actually thinking. So it's almost like it's in his uh, in his sleeping mind and his subconscious and only comes out you know when he's not really paying attention to what he to every every little thing he's doing yeah he sings a song I think at some point during... Tinker Tanner a, a, a drinking song right like maybe maybe he as an innkeeper there's a bit in there where he's um, could possibly be one of the Chandrian and he makes a remark yeah but the people who I care about know the difference which kind yeah. of it kind of makes it sound like he is one of the Chandrian, and the Chandrian always have like a sign. Yep. And a lot of people think that his sign is the silence of three parts. Oh, interesting. Or you know the lack of music, but he sung he sung a song, so it couldn't be that, right? My guess is that Tinker Tanner is more or less a. You don't even count that as music. Well, it's more like a chant, I, I think. It's like you know everyone claps along and and sings to just about any uh, any rhythm. That's okay. kind of how it's described. So it's I don't know I I don't. You think there's still room I, in there for? I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna give my I'm gonna give my my theory a pass and say that that doesn't that Tinker Tanner doesn't count. I would but guess does, that it has more to do with his lute, anyways. Yeah, I, the lute probably is a good uh, is a good thing to sing yeah singing maybe not so much and also maybe because coat uh is an innkeeper it's expected that he knows that song and can and can oh true yeah that's the truth of the, do it some justice one right? of the truths of the name coat separate yeah. from the name coat so maybe that has something to do with the two but yes the loot that would absolutely uh i would absolutely agree with that as well, that the, that it's more to do with the loot. Man, we're covering so much we're ground do, this episode. We're covering good stuff. <laughs> I don't even care. This is this is a great conversation. This is where you wanted to go the whole time. Yes, more or less. This is almost exactly what I wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, glad you're getting your rocks off. Oh my god, it's so good. And besides, I mean, what would you, what would you rather? Would you rather be talking about something else? I mean, actually, I I wanted to share uh, one line. The one line in this book that genuinely got me to like a deep guttural laugh 
and it was such a small thing. I don't know if anybody would even laugh at this, but it was uh, the introdu- introduction of Abanthe, <clears throat> and he's having the conversation. It's right before he calls the name of the wind, or or right after. Anyways, it's right in there. He's having a confrontation with the like sheriff and the mayor of this this little tiny little town, and they're trying to tell him to move along. They don't want any arcanist nonsense in the town and he just insults them like he's like threatening them <clears throat> and he has some scary ones in there like I'll you know rip you to shreds and but then the one that really got me was I'll fill you with lemon custard and push you off a window <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just pretty random it's like oh my god this guy's mad oh man would he I really do it. that would he fill me with lemon custard oh my lord I feel like uh, one of my f- just talking about the, the funny things in the book that made me laugh i think uh the best one that i could think of is the the jackass jackass things were pretty good oh i don't even remember that rhyme yeah it's like the song that there's a song count Threp, yeah. it's that yeah, count threp and uh and both write about ambrose that there's that got me laughing a lot i'm sure there are other things that i just can't remember right now but that's the one thing that comes to mind immediately but we're we're so close to uh, the attack on the troop. Let's go. Let's yeah, go back to the. I guess the things that Abanthe actually teaches Quoth, he has a, a solid amount of knowledge on botany, astronomy, psychology, anatomy, alchemy, geology, chemistry, which seems like a lot, but that's not everything. Like that, all of the subjects. Like if if the Arcanum was a high school that would be like half of the classes that are required to take but i guess not all classes are required in the arcanum you, you don't have to be an all-arounder you could be specific yeah you can definitely uh, specialize i guess um before we actually talk about the attack i mean i guess it goes along with it is why they got attacked so both oh, Kolo's yeah. father has been studying and doing research on the chandrian story and uh Quoth overhears him say that he thinks he understands their motives, but he can't finish the song because of the smaller details, like the signs that mark their arrival, like the blue flames, or the man with black eyes, or goat eyes, or yeah. you know, all those different things. Like Those, throughout the years, have had different descriptions, so it's, it's hard to finish his song because he's you know a perfectionist. But before Abanthe leaves, um, he he finds a, a pretty lady that needs his help, and yeah. he decides to uh, set his cart on the side of the road and help this lady for a while, and uh, marry her. <laughs> oh, was oh yeah, there was a marriage. Yeah, yeah that it was. Yeah, their, she was like a wedding. widower. Yeah, she yeah. was a widower, and and he was like an avid brewer, and and her husband had been a brewer so he got he got basically everything he could ever want uh, mm-hmm. a wife and and a brewery to tool around with so good for him yeah so Quoth uh, should know where know where to find him right theoretically yeah oh. I'm surprised there has been no no word of that I think uh, it was only mentioned like after the attack that I think uh, Bast asked why didn't you go fight Ben or whatever like, yeah, I couldn't do that. It was like hundreds of miles. But I mean, after the, you know, 
closer to present day. I guess it's not impossible that present Maybe day Cove has already yeah. been. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe probably has, nice like, if we're, being, if we're being honest. Or uh, that, or he's so ashamed, he might be ashamed of what he'd become and didn't want to, uh... True. To go see Ben. But regardless, with his departure, the rest of the troop convinces Arladin, Quoth's father, to sing his song, or at least part of it, or he... He uh, reluctantly agrees and sings part of the song. Sit and listen all, for I will sing a story wrought and forgotten in a time, old and gone, a story of a man, proud Lamre. Strong as the spring, steel of the sword he had at ready hand. Hear how he fought, fell, and rose again, to fall again under shadow, fallen then. Love felled him, love for native land, and love for his wife Lyra at whose calling some say he rose through doors of death to speak her name as his first reborn breath. So it's essentially the story of Lanre used to be a good guy. Then Lyra, his wife, called him back from the dead and his first words were her name when he came back from the dead. Yeah, I li- I'm pretty sure, or I like to think that, especially once you see the way like the ADEM talk about this particular story and these names the names of the Chandrian uh, in the second book and you know saying it once is okay uh, saying it a few times in a close amount of time is less good like they, they'll say the name once and then you need to take a thousand steps or or a hundred days or whatever's come first or something before you say it again uh, so I don't think it was actually him singing that bit of song yeah, I think I guess it was in, him in, and his wife probably talking about it, practicing the song here and there. They probably found one of the true names or, or something like that and said it oh, okay. too many times in a short period. So you think it wasn't even this song? I think I don't think that that much of the song at that particular saying of it. Like, I do think that it was... I don't know, though, because I feel like it has to do with this fact, because Lanre is a hero of history. So they well, people no, 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 say... No. I think you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I'm saying him singing the song out loud to those people at that particular moment wasn't necessarily the exact prompt for the attack. Right. It was him hunting down all the stuff for the song and then saying the name and saying the information that the Chandrian are clearly trying to eradicate from, from the world. Uh too often from that from you know in in a short period of time is what drew them in and Mm. at least if you take what the adems say about it and then i believe uh quoth bast and chronicler have a a bit of a conversation about it uh after okay info i'm not i'm not privy to as of yet right man i would have i would have put money on the fact that it was this song for sure i mean that is the fact that he has compiled the yeah, information it's not a good and thing. put it, yeah, and yeah. put it into a, a medium, and then was practicing it and talking about it with with his wife and and building this song for so long, it right. finally <clears throat> something about it was it the it was attention. the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was a pretty big straw. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Because it, and it's like you said, life continued on for a little while until finally they attacked. It wasn't they like. And they strike like lightning out of the clear blue sky. They're they're not there planning, and and stuff. They probably 
it's like uh, almost like an echo i i want to say like or like a doppler yeah. effect type of thing where it's like i'm pretty sure their names are something they're trying to completely erase more or less that's what i think the chandrian skull is what that does for them i don't know but they're trying to completely erase oh their like names. they're the people that are trying to change their name and Elodin was saying that um, people who are trying to change their names, there's no, nothing good comes Absolutely, of that. Yeah. He might have been thinking of the, the Chandrian specifically. Yeah, maybe. It's sort of like, you know, you say their name once and it doesn't really, it doesn't like ping them. But mm -hmm. That's the word I'm going to use. But you start saying it more and more and more in shorter and shorter periods of time. And then and they sing a song like, and it makes... Like, yeah, and that where where it, <laughs> where the car goes past you in the Doppler effect is where and they prompts strike the like, line. Yeah, someone's parents have been singing entirely the wrong songs. Indeed, and they strike like lightning out of the clear blue sky and come and kill these people to erase uh, the knowledge of their name from how far it was just spread with the mm. singing of the song and and the talking of uh, the talking about it. So yeah, the one of the most influential parts of Ghost Life. The it, it was chosen as one of the beginnings, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, one at least one of the ones that we know about now. Definitely the most pivotal moment that we've learned of thus far. Understandably, I yes. mean, I guess I'm I'm glad he didn't see his parents get killed. He was off collecting was like sage or something his mother yeah. asked him to collect yeah his mother which was, uh, was it just an excuse to let his parents bone pretty much whether he knew at the time or just connected it later and now in his uh more adult life he's he's hoping that's what they did it's like i hope yeah. you were in your in i hope they were in each other's arms for that last bit of time before the end because then he comes back and his troop is entirely dead. Uh, there's like metal pieces he touches that just go to flake rusty, away. yeah, flaky, rusty dust. The wood is is Rot. rotted. So all these different signs of, of there Chandrian. is blue fire. There's, there's stuff yes, is on fire and fire. the fire is blue. And then he sees this group of the Chandrian sat around a fire, and he describes a couple of them. Uh, he describes a bald man with a gray beard. Uh, a woman, the man that you know, the shadow obscured his entire face, and then someone, uh, Cinder, matte black eyes that didn't reflect light, and just like a very, uh, very sinuous, strange way of moving. But and so they end up leaving Foth alive, even though Cinder literally walks over and talks to Foth. Yeah, Haliax actually saves his life. Yeah, more or Cinder less. Cinder was about to go over and kill him. And then Haliax says, leave the poor boy alone or something along those lines. Well, he, I think, maybe he says something like that, but he he seems to make a, a point of punishing Cinder and making an example because all the rest of them, quote-unquote, seem to have forgotten their purpose and have taken too much joy in their little cruelties. Uh, so I think he's trying to keep them more on their actual task and less on wholesale slaughter. But I, I also like when the Chandrian finally leave the area they, they it's mentioned that there's a feeling of being watched and that there's like a change in the texture of the air before Halley a feeling of they, being watched pulled at my attention I felt yeah. a, 
tenseness, a subtle change in the texture of the air. I focused on it, glad for the distraction, glad for anything that might keep me from thinking clearly for just two or more seconds. They come, Haliak said quietly. He stood, and shadow seemed to boil outward from him like a dark fog. Quickly, to me. Yeah. So, who's coming? Um, I guess the the, the natural uh, thing to assume is it's the Amir? Uh-huh. Because uh, read the part with who keeps you safe from the the singers and the Amir and the and this that, like that's uh that's another interesting bit. The, these are the Chandrian's enemies. Cinder. A cool voice came from the direction of the fire. His black eyes narrowed in irritation. What? He hissed. You are approaching my displeasure. This one has done nothing. Send him to the soft and painless blanket of his sleep. The cool voice caught slightly in the last word, as if it were difficult to say. Sleep. Oh. He probably he probably can't sleep. Yeah. It's one of the doors that's He's locked been, to him. That that reminds me of the lackless rhyme. Uh, she's been dreaming and not sleeping. Not sleeping. Yeah. I mean, Lady Lackless is also a Chandrian, <laughs> technically. There's a woman. There is a woman. Oh. I never put that together. I think I, I don't think that that actually is connected. I think that is more of a uh, red hair connection to no a connection to the creation of the Fey realm. I don't. I'm I'm unfamiliar with that stuff yet. That's like yeah, that's like the the story of Jax and Eax and the broken house. That house is supposedly the Fey realm because it's night on one side and light on the other. You know what I was thinking about? I feel like there's a connection between Haliax and Eax. Just because oh, yeah. I I A X is yeah, and I feel like E X is a shit name. There's no way that's a real name. Well, E X and Jax I think are the same. It's yeah, just but a... it's it's actually I A X I think, and then they they change it to Jax or something like the the real. Anyway, anyways, that's total. I thought about that for half a second the other day, and I don't know why I said it out loud. So there was a different part that you wanted me to to read out. Oh, uh, yeah, what he says, who protects you from... Who keeps you safe from the Amir, the singers, the Sith, from all that would harm you in the world? So those, uh, those things, the Amir, the, the Scythe, and the, the singers. and the singers are, like, the, the Chandrian's enemies, more or less, the ones that they hold in the highest regard, at least. So those are, theoretically, the, the enemies of the Chandrian, and apparently can follow right behind them more or less so if the changer can strike like lightning out of the clear blue sky the Amir, the Sith and the Singers and the Singers are apparently able to come in relatively right behind them well, I can't wait to find out anything about any of those people yeah I think the Amir, I don't remember where it was but there's a section where we get introduced to them or at least a small band of maybe the first ones do you remember uh, this? There's like a young boy who's never seen death. There's a woman who's yes, never smiled or stuff like that. You know, it's the it's the story Scarpy is telling when the uh, the church people come in and take him away. He is telling it, uh, the story of these angels, uh, one of which is named Telu. And Selitos, I believe, was another name he mentioned, and things like that. Okay. And they they have their wings removed and they're sent to Earth, and they are the first Amir. 
you know, you'll be the Order Amir and fight them and blah, blah, blah. Because I think Celatos is, is rallying uh, allies against uh, Haliax at that point. Okay, so we'll get there. Yeah. That's mm. interesting. I feel like we'll yeah. eventually meet those characters. No way that those Hopefully. people die. There are some like theories about who uh, some Amir that we've met might be. One is uh, Master Lauren is, is thought to be an Amir. Oh, the uh, Master Archivist. Yeah. It's uh, it's thought that if the Chandrian are trying to eradicate certain bits of uh, information and knowledge, then the Amir might see, be seeking to protect it, and the Master Archivist of the University would be a really good position to hold to do such things and control the four-plate door. Right. <clears throat> because what... And the... We haven't talked about him yet, but what is Puppet's purpose, and why does he... If bringing in a candle into the archives gets you banned from the archives, why is there a guy living in the archives with a room full of candles? <laughs> yeah, he's a, an interesting character. My thought is, if the Chandrian come through the door, those candles turn blue. That is a very uh, reasonable thing to have as a... A Chandrian alert system. You know, you got to have your CASs. Yeah, I think it says in the book somewhere that that, that room is directly below the four-plated door. Yeah, interesting. So where were we? Well, yeah, we're, we're pretty much through the on attack. Hour right now. Yeah, we're coming on it so hard. We can <laughs> <laughs> coming on that hour twenty. I uh, guess if we're but if we're gonna include the Chandrian attack, did we complete? talking about the Chandrian attack? Is there anything else we wanted to cover? Yeah, I mean, it it sort of sets up that Cinder is uh, a main villainous type, at least as far as Koth is concerned. He's the one that talks to him. He ends up being the one that Quoth squares off with in the Eld. The He is the one that it has uh, the most spotlight shed on him. Yes. And you learn he, the most about him. It is theorized that he is Denna's patron. Oh, really? Hence, Master Ash Cinder. Oh, Master Ash and Cinder. Yeah. That is a theory. It's also There's also another theory that uh, what's his name? Brennan? Brayden? Brayden? Uh, oh, Brayden, yeah. Brayden. There's a theory that the he tack is player. also... Yes, there's a theory that he is Dennis' patron. I played a little bit of TAC today, actually. Oh, I have the physical version of it. I played it a few times. Yeah, that was uh, my girlfriend and I played TAC. We have you know what we could do in like a week? Play, some <laughs> play, one ra play, play a round or two of TAC. <laughs> Man, I actually play chess. Yeah. So the way that Patrick Rothfuss talks about TAC, it... To me, it sounds like he's talking about chess. Based on my interactions with the game Tech, I don't know if this game has the deep... I, I don't know why I've said the deepness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you so apparently often. like it. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be nearly as deep of a game as chess or... Do you I remember the game my... Pente or Penta? No. There's... How many rounds of attack have you played? How many different opponents and things like that? Just oh, no. out of curiosity. Only, uh, only my girlfriend. I think I played with Nate uh, a couple of games, but no, I'm, I'm sure it does go quite a bit deeper than how much we've played it, but... I mean, there's a reason that chess is so... Uh, so simple. Well, simple, but also has stood the test of time and is 
it is what it is because right. it is super deep, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's no shame in not being as deep as chess. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's we should not just a, play just I'm because. I'm not, a, I'm not just criticizing the books. Yeah, no, we can for sure. You're criticizing. You're well. You're possibly criticizing... rightly criticizing Rothfuss for for talking about it as though it is chess. No, no, no. I <laughs> I guess that assumption. The what my comment I was trying to make was that the game that was created with the name Tack after this book was written does not live up to the story about the game called Tack. So that's I'm I'm working under the assumption that he wrote oh. wrote the book and then there was a marketing opportunity here for a board game. If my book is really popular, it tops the bestseller New York the New York Times bestseller list. Maybe I could sell some of these board games too. It's a very cynical point of view, but my yeah, I my mean, guess especially is, considering uh, if you can actually read the the story of the him and the the like designer of the game like making it together. Like it uh-huh. wasn't it wasn't a like mutant teenage mutant ninja turtles type story. What does that mean? <laughs> the wasn't it that the teenage mutant ninja turtle comics were were made to like sell action figures. I hadn't, heard, I hadn't heard that specifically, but I'm, I don't. Maybe doubt I'm thinking. That that maybe was, I'm thinking of a different franchise. I think Transformers was also very high on the the product. Right. So it wasn't like, hey, I'll make a, I'll, I'll make a board game to make money. It was, I think, a game designer and him probably talked about it, and it's probably super fun to make a board game. And yeah. I've written a book in which there is a board game. And, so uh, stop being cynical, Taylor. Well. <laughs> God, you're such a cynic. Man, I just wanted to make one tiny little comment about the board game not being as good as the book. You don't I mean, do you jump down people's throats when they say that I bet you do. <laughs> when they say the the movie wasn't as good as the book? No. I don't know, it depends. Wow, you're Which which movie and book are we talking about? trying probably to think jump, of a good example. I'd probably jump down someone's throat if they uh, told me that they liked certain uh, movies better than certain books. Like, if, Ooh, if someone tried to tell me that... One? If someone tried to tell me that Ender's the movie game. timeline was better than the book, uh. I would probably jump down their throat really fast. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever read Ender's Game or watched not. Ender's Game? It is a great book and an awful movie. And I, I would disagree with anybody that said it was a bad book or that it was a good movie, regardless of their uh, relationship with each other. Whether you read the book and watched the movie or if you only watched the movie. Like, if you think that's a good movie in itself, ugh. <laughs> never seen it and never read the book. So It's got Harrison Ford in it. It does. I know that much, at least. What a joke. Anyways, <laughs> did we cover the Chandrian attack enough? I mean, I think... I think so. We'll probably end up referring back it to again. it when yeah. when it comes up because, spoiler alert, Quoth is going to go looking for revenge against the Chandrian, more or less. Against Cinder specifically or the Chandrian think, in general? I know he's always looking all for information them. about the Chandrian. I but. assume once... Because he doesn't like kill Cinder in the Eld. He... It could be seen that he defeated him, more or less, uh, but he did not kill him. And my guess is once in book three somewhere, he probably, if the whole Cinder is Denna's patron thing is, is true, 
I could see it going that he finds out that Cinder's Dennis patron and then does everything he possibly can to try to uh, end that and kill Cinder and takes a much more personal vendetta approach against Cinder specifically as opposed to just the Chandrian in general for killing his family. Right. Something tells me that it's not Cinder, though. I think the, the Cinder that I know I don't think is playing games. Like, I, I feel like it's he was leading. He was leading a band of mercenaries in the Eld to attack tax-collecting caravans. And you think that's Dennis I think Patron that is, because of that? No, I don't think that that's Dennis Patron because of that. I think that that proves that he would just play games. He likes his little cruelty, oh, as I Taliak see what said. Saying. Yes. Okay. No, good point. Yeah, I just couldn't... Boom! I, I, I jumped down! <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet, so I I'm not familiar with uh, that that fight scene. I was just comparing the cinder from the Chandrian attack to um, Dennis Patron, which... We know granted, literally nothing about aside from... He beats her. Yeah, and that's the that's the Cathay saying that he beats her. I mean, there's uh, the... no, that's that's from I don't. I think that you're what you're saying is true, but I'm referencing when Denna oh, is high on farm. Denna resin. Yeah, the moth and farm. Just yeah, yeah, and just tells Quoth that he beat her so that people wouldn't think that she was the cause. Right. So it's just a matter of does he was that out of practice? Either way, it's fucked up. But is that out of practicality or was that you know did is it something that he took pleasure in doing is is a whole and and i think even throughout the other books or the second book and the rest of the first like she'll show up once she has the patron she shows up in the second book it must be because that's towards the end of the first one uh she'll have you know bruises and and things like that so mm -hmm. clearly continues and that that's the cathay ends up goading quoth with that information uh, oh he beats her you know blah 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 this that and the other thing but we'll come so, back to that part that yeah, seems that's, like that's, uh, uh, that's the deeper cafe. than we need to get for the uh, Chandrian attack when I was going down that. that when I was going down that EX Jax uh, Haliax rabbit hole uh, so in the story of Jax he talks to the hermit and it's uh, theorized that the hermit is representative of the Cathay because EX talks to the Cathay before he steals the moon uh huh Random. Just throwing that out there. Cathay. The Cathay is a, is a very interesting bit. Wait, say that again then? So, you you remember what the Cathay is? It's the, like... Yeah, the... the it, they make you think it's that it's a, a snake in the tree. Yeah, it's called... I think, like, there are shapers and namers. There are knowers, which... The Cathay is, a, is like, a knower. Uh, okay. So, it knows things. Uh, and the Cathay, in particular, likes to... So I, destruction. Yes. However, Bass described it was was just fucking great. But anyway, that's not the point of this. The point is, uh, in the story of Jax, he talks to a hermit in a cave, and it's thought that that hermit is representative of the Cathay. Okay. And since the story of Eax and the moon is basically the same one as Jax and the moon, Eax talks to the Cathay before stealing the moon and creating the Fey Realm, more or less. And I think, yeah, that just is. So I don't, I don't actually know yeah, if. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't have enough, enough. I don't info actually know if Haliax. Yeah, I, I just don't know if Haliax and Eax are the same. I think Jax and Eax are the same, and I think Jax is, 
Jax is luckless. I think Jax and Eax are lackless. I think they're or lockless. They are the the progenitors of the lackless line. So I think Kvothe is uh, related to them distantly, which is why he's going to be able to open the door. So this is like totally way out there uh, things. I just want to make sure that we hit this part again then in, a, yeah. in an episode. Oh, where we it'll, it'll aren't come an up. hour and a half into. So now that we're to the end of it, that one was a. Um, that was an episode of going deep and not covering a lot of ground as far as the plot goes. Yes. Maybe this series will end up being more on the macro level as opposed to the micro level. I feel like we got bogged down in the specifics of the story, but that might have just been, you know, needed as an introduction, it, like the yeah. being in note and noir and learning about the setting of the story. We've gotten past all that. Quoth is now telling his story. And uh, and we can begin to understand the yeah the at inner this point, workings of this world. At this point, we're more or less unpacking how these events that Kvothe chooses to tell from his life tie together and are going to lead into the idea that sort of what I uh, laid out in session zero: how he fucks up almost the entire world, mm-hmm. which is why every everything he chooses to share has most likely has some relevance on that. And this is, it probably seems like we're skipping all over the place, <clears throat> which we definitely <laughs> we are. are. We and are. that's probably annoying to listen to, but also is a major compliment to Patch of Rothfuss, I think. Like, the, the amount of intertwined stuff between just throughout book one and then between book one and book two, and then eventually between book one and book three. Like, I wonder how many how yeah. many times all these things are going to overlap and it's not it's not a direct line it wasn't we didn't talk about those things like one and then the next and then the next that was all like yeah a giant web throughout the book we could have talked about eight different things while we talked about the the chandrian attack and we did so we're we're through the chandrian attack so after this we're we're heading to his life as a an orphan urchin in first the wild and then eventually Tarvian. So continuing in the wild. Yes, that is where <laughs> we will pick up next time. In the wild. And I mean, we briefly talked about him playing the sounds of things and the feelings of things. And we'll, that'll be kind of where we pick up. Alright, I'm excited. Me too. See you next time on the... Oh, should we say like the Banter Book Club at the start? We are not branding ourselves very well. Yeah. I mean, nah, fuck it. Bye. We'll, we'll get there. Eventually, we'll probably have a you know a pre-recorded intro and outro that you slap <laughs> on to the beginning and end of each one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bander Book Club. If you like what you heard, follow us on all our social media. Smash that like button and subscribe to. I'll never episode. say that. I will never <laughs> say that. I, yeah, might, I would. I'll say it. I might want to <laughs> find a a friend that has some musical inclinations to make a, a pretty simple <clears throat> intro and outro song but yeah you're i'm never going to say those words in that order the words smash the, nope the like button nope <laughs> why not nope. come on everyone else does a peer pressure bro <laughs> man i don't know why so many people buy into that who started uh, that i will because don't tell because me i don't want to know it's not a it's not you don't want to just press it you know you gotta hit it you gotta smash it you gotta you gotta feel it <laughs>
Does it is does that make you like it twice? No, smashing or it gets you hard. Twice. It gets you. It just. You ever you ever felt like your dick was made out of concrete? What's That's the smashing those like buttons. What's the difference between uh, jam and jelly? <laughs> you can't jelly your dick into my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I've never. <laughs> I've only heard the, the your mother version of that one. Uh, well, I mean, I, either way. <laughs> That's good. Also okay. Peanut butter. We've now covered some inappropriate stuff, so we could say goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't forget to take on that mass shooting joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might get us canceled before we become a thing. Yeah, yeah. It probably would. Dick joke in episode one about the specifics of my dick. Episode two had a dick joke about jamming into your butt. <laughs> hey, if it's it, so, at this point, what you're saying is, if we go a whole episode without a dick joke, we're doing it wrong. I guess so. I'm mostly pointing out that there's no, there's no in between part. Like we're just talking about a book and having fun, and then we cut to a disgusting dick joke. <laughs> my we're not like being disgusting the whole time. And then we... <laughs> it's just out of the blue. Our dick jokes strike like lightning from a blue <laughs> <the> sky. <laughs> okay, bye. Yeah, bye.